Welcome. This is All the Fuck In, a podcast from two entrepreneurs about showing up for social justice in your work. This isn't your typical capitalist-focused entrepreneurial business podcast. There are already plenty of those. We're here because we've been craving voices rooted in activism, justice, and integrity with those values. These are conversations about all things business and entrepreneurship, but from a radical perspective that says we don't have to choose between social justice values and being successful in our work. This won't be a place where we claim to have all the answers. Our intention is to offer guidance and support while also encouraging our listeners to discover and live into more questions. We believe these conversations require ongoing practice and a consistent dedication to unlearning. If you're ready to go all the fuck in on what matters most while creating an abundant life, you're in the right place. And a quick note on our content, we believe self-care is radical and non-negotiable in the work of both justice and entrepreneurship. So some of these conversations include mention of trauma, both from a systemic and often racialized perspective and in relationship to experiences like sexual violence. We hope you do what you need to take care of yourself while listening, even if that means pausing and returning to an episode at another time or skipping it altogether. Welcome back. We're so excited to have Monica Kadina on the podcast today. Monica is an Afro-Latinx artist, writer, yogi, educator, and digital media strategist for wellness brands like Off the Mat Into the World and Yoga Journal. Monica is most known for creating viral digital campaigns featured in Vogue, Vanity Fair, Huffington Post, Self Magazine, and People Magazine, among others, that are rooted in intersectionality, social justice activism, and body positivity. The former co-founder of Wear Your Voice magazine, an intersectional feminist magazine centering the voices of Black and brown, queer women, femmes, trans, and non-binary people, Monica's work is heavily influenced by the resilience of the diasporic community. She's the co-founder of Black Healers Connect, a digital and in-person hub for Black healers to build the tools they need to thrive while while providing the necessary tools for Black healing and collective liberation. Monica has worked for internationally recognized healing and wellness organizations centered around wellness and social justice, and she travels around the globe, obviously not in COVID, uh, bringing communities together through collective healing. Uh, Lauren and I were really excited to have Monica on the show today, uh, and I'm really excited for you all to listen and and share thoughts, feedback if you have any. This was a really unique conversation. Lauren, do you want to say anything about the uniqueness of it? Um, well, first of all, is that the way that you and I both know Monica is like, she's a couple degrees of uh, friendship away from us, which is kind of cool. Yes. Um, one of my good friends, Sarah Lipset, who lives two blocks away from me in Denver, um, collaborates with Monica a lot. They're very close friends. So Monica is someone I've heard a ton about, but haven't um, worked with closely or gotten to know on my own. Um, And I know that I think it was the day before we recorded, um, we saw her post about how she was feeling very strongly that at this point, her view is that 
white folks working in social justice should not be paid for that work, that, that it's in, actually inappropriate, I think may have been the word that she used for white folks to um, earn money for doing this kind of work. And she was so generous with us when we um, jumped on before we hit record, we had a whole, I want to say 10, 20 minute conversation about like, you know, asking if she wanted to get into that with us. And she was so willing and so, um, it reminds me a little bit of how Michelle Johnson works, where she was able to hold two seemingly opposite things at the same time. Um, and she was very like, oh, I, I can't, I'm, I'm not coming up with the right words right now. My brain is a little mushy today, but she was just very willing to be in that mess with us. And I feel like if there's anything that I've learned in this work, especially as a white person who earns money right now for um, collaborating on social justice offerings, it, it's that that messiness is the work um, and that uh, no group of people is a monolith um, that Monica, I mean, she even said, this is one perspective. I am not, um, you know, I, I'm one voice, uh, but she also was very clear in her own values, which I really appreciated. Does yeah, that likewise. No, that was great. That was wonderful. You said it all so well. I feel like, I just want to echo all of it. Um, and the other thing I want to say too, totally unrelated to like the actual content of this episode is that I didn't have my fancy recording earbud microphone situation with me. And so I sound really far away while Monica and Lauren sound much more present and available in the recording. So I'll just say that, but this was a really, um, you know, honest, in all honesty, there was a moment where it was like, oh, we're going to go here. And I knew we were likely going to go there if Monica wanted to. And that Lauren and I, as two white people doing social justice work, I knew that we could hold it and hold awareness of the complexities of this conversation um, and that it would likely be uncomfortable. And that's part of the practice, right? Um, and just, just like Lauren's saying. So um, I'm really excited for you all to listen and, and enjoy. Is there anything else you want to add, Lauren, before we, we queue up the episode? I mean, just in general that whether or not you keep hitting play on this episode, I just hope that you follow Monica, follow her work because the offerings that she is, I want to say conjuring. I mean, it really feels yeah. like she is creating magic with what she's doing. Um, we also happened to talk to her on a day when she was transitioning out of a role and she was having a lot going on personally. So I, I just, I'm extra grateful that um, we got to be with her in that full range of human experience um, and and I think that there's so much just to be learned from how she shows up and, and observing her, even if you're not someone who's worked with her. So Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Enjoy. We are so happy to have Monica Cadena here with us today. Monica, would you um, share your pronouns and your social location, whatever identities feel resonant for you in this moment that you want to claim and name, and also your um, astrology placements? Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, Monica Cadena, I go by she, her, hers. I am here occupying Ohlone territory, also known as Oakland, California. And my placements are, I'm a Gemini sun, Aquarius moon and Virgo rising, which is really funny because Gemini is all about communication and my whole work is build your community, not your following, so. <laughs> and do you wanna share anything about your identities, the identities you carry? Oh, thank you. I. I'm a black queer woman, cisgendered, able-bodied. 
I have color privilege. I feel like oftentimes when we talk about our identities, we, you know, want to talk about just the, the parts that we identify with that feel good. But I think it's also important that we identify the parts of ourselves that carry immense privilege. So, yeah, thank you. For those who aren't familiar with you and your work, and you can answer this however you feel inclined, I, I would love to invite you to share about what you're doing, what you've been up to, how you got to this moment, what you might see coming. Yeah. Well, the Aquarius in me doesn't know what the hell she's doing from day one to two, so we're going to just say that part. Um, but what I have I been doing recently, um, a project that I've just really been blessed to, you know, from the universe manifest into my life is digital allyship. And so my background, I'm a digital strategist, I'm a writer, um, but I've, for the past several years, I've been working in digital strategy and marketing for large brands and just individuals, um, nonprofit organizations. And, you know, when we think about social media and, and something that I've noticed as a digital strategist who's taken way too many workshops is, it's like how to build your following and, you know, all of these things that are rooted in one vanity metrics and capitalism, but at the essence and at the core of, of digital marketing, at the essence and at the core of social media is community. So, you know, before we talk about getting that, you know, new set of thousands of followers or what hashtags work to draw people in, how are we engaging with our existing community? You know, what, you know, community agreements and guidelines are we creating so we can cultivate brave spaces online? You know, especially during coronavirus and so many people are, are social media may be their only outlet of, you know, talking to loved ones on a regular basis. So how are we really cultivating, you know, brave spaces in this digital realm? And that work, you know, came from, from many different things. My background um, in school, I have a background in urban studies and planning. And, you know, one of the reasons why I decided to take up urban studies and planning is because black and brown folks, you know, we live in these urban, you know, neighborhoods and areas, but how, you know, often do we have a say in what happens in our neighborhoods? And so for me, I had to take up space and, you know, I was the only black woman, only black person <laughs> in this um, program that I was in, but I felt it was really important and necessary. And so one of the projects that we had was, you know, we had to find a way to cultivate um, communal conversation. Shit. Oh. <laughs> you're no, still you're good. First of all, the podcast is called All the Fucking, so we curse all the time, and that's <laughs> fine. And your telephone noises are also fine. Do what you need to do. <laughs> I thought I hung up. Okay. Um, I told her I was on a meeting. Um, let me start over. <laughs> so one of the projects that we had um, during this program I was doing at San Francisco State University was find a way to engage with local neighborhoods. And for me, my community is, you know, specifically the black community. And one of the things that I had to say is we can't just go out, like we can't just go out and put pamphlets out and expect people to get engaged. But what is a way to build engagement and meet them where they're at? So black folks are the largest consumers of technology. Okay, well, I wonder if I create some like viral content that, you know, resonates with some messaging that they're already tapped into to get them activated and involved. And so that's how I started creating viral content. From there in 2014, I connected with um, who ended up being my co-collaborator, Robneet Vora, 
um, who's the founder of Wearer Voice magazine. It's an intersectional feminist-based magazine. It was originally a hyper-local publication when I met her. How, how I got into Wear Your Voice, let me tell you this, the funny story, is there is an artist who I was obsessed with, in love with, his name is Jesse Boykins III, and he was performing at a music festival literally across the street from my apartment. And I said, there is no way this man is going to be in my hood, in my town, and not talk to me. And so I would ask some friends, I was like, how do I, they're like PR, like just write about him. And so I reached out to his management team and maybe within the two days, they're like, sure, we can get you an interview. Who are you going to be writing for? And I was like, uh, uh, San Francisco Chronicles. So I like reached out to SF Gate, which they did approve. <laughs> thank, thank goodness. Um, but they, it, they didn't get back to me for like a week or two. So like days before my interview, I didn't even have them. So like immediately I had found, I like Googled Oakland publications and where your voice popped up. And so I found the email of Rob Neitz and said, Hey, I like to do an interview. She wrote back. And I, I was, I was like, this is so interesting. And she wrote back in like two minutes for, you know, a media outlet. She was like, yes, absolutely. Can we meet? And so Rob Neitz and I met literally the next day and it was like literally just pff, love at first sight. Um, and so from there, you know, I started to write content for Wear Your Voice, and then eventually she asked me to be the editor at Wear Your Voice, and then I started to create viral campaigns, and, you know, a, maybe if, I don't know if it was a few months in, I can't quite recall, she, we were just talking, and she was like, you know what, I feel like you're my co-founder, will you be the co-founder of Wear Your Voice? And so that's how I became the co-creator. I don't like to use the term founder, because founder just seems really colonialist, so I like to say creator. Um, or Creatrix. Um, that's how I became the co-creator of Warrior Voice. And I was there for, I would say, maybe about four years um, until I left in 2018. And so in 2018, you know, like many BIPOC, you know, media outlets, there wasn't a lot of funding and support for Warrior Voice. And I was also finding myself wanting to, you know, focus really in wellness and healing you know, and, you know, I really give it up to outlets like Wear Your Voice who talk about the issues because this is, you know, media is a very taxing, draining, you know, work. I remember there was times that I would be, you know, awake for 18 hours or I would have to wake up at two, three in the morning to cover a story. And so, you know, for my nervous system and my self-regulation, I was wanting myself to move out of media. Um, but media still found me. So I would say summer of 2018, I was like, well, all of these opportunities that I'm applying for, like Salesforce, Google, digital marketing, I'm like, mm -mm. like I just did a healing, you know, I was doing um, workshops in Memphis for black healers and black healing. I'm like, I need to find a way to bridge the two together. So I just started Googling like yoga, digital strategist, yoga. And so I found a position for yoga journal. And I was like, hmm, I'm a little black girl there. You are not going to respond back to me, but why the hell not? I have nothing to lose. I'm unemployed. So I'm like, Ch -ch -ch. and then two weeks later, I got a message and it said yoga journal job, just all low caps. And I was like, wow, how professional for, you know, this major global media outlet. And the person I talked to, her name's Tasha, amazing person. Um, and we were, we chatted for, you know, maybe an hour on the phone. And I didn't know that they wanted someone to be local, which they're based out of Boulder. 
Um, but I was like, yeah, I'm not going to move to Boulder, but you know, if you don't, I told them point blank, I said, if you don't work, you know, with BIPOC voices, you know, and if you don't put us in, you know, leadership roles, you will be a dinosaur, you know? So how are you really including us in these conversations? So yeah, I eventually met Tasha in Los Angeles and we did a, you know, yoga asana practice together and, you know, chatted again, but I didn't hear back from her for a few months. Cause she's like, are you sure you won't move to Boulder? And I was like, hell no, I am not going to move to Boulder. <laughs> um, and then a few months later, you know, they did reach out to me to help them with some crisis management because, you know, of course, problematic publication. Um, and then from there, um, I really advocate and said, you know, I'm not someone that you just pull in and out, you know, you really need to engage with me for your best interest more than mine. And so that's how I started working at Yoga Journal and getting into more wellness spaces. I'm the former uh, marketing and media director at Off the Mat Into the World. And I'm also, sorry, cut, that would pause was too long. <laughs> um, and um, I recently left that role to create space for not just my digital allyship project, but I'm really blessed to be the steward of Black Healers Connect. It's an organization out of Oakland with my sister, Heather Archer. And we're doing two things. One, we're creating space for Black healing and liberation um, but we're also creating, basically, I like to call it like a LinkedIn for, for Black healers. So I would often meet a Black healer and be like, do you have social media? Where's your website? And the joke that they would, it's coming, coming, coming right away, sis. And so I'd meet them two, two weeks, two months later. It's like, okay, you got your website now? Mm, you know, later. And so then I realized, particularly for Black healers, not just because of all of the just things that we take on by our lived experiences, but because we're doing such deep healing work, we don't have time to think about that Facebook pixel or get our website up. So I started to say, okay, let me help you because you're helping the community. So what we're doing is we're helping folks, black healers to create those infrastructures and setups because you know, the, the wellness industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. And one of the ways that we are disenfranchised is by not having those systems set up and in place. So Black Healers Connect is working to bridge that gap. The, I, there are so many different things I could ask as follow-up. I'm like, I want to hear more about what it was like at Yoga Journal. Like, I, I mean, you know, um, and I want to, I want to amplify more of what you're doing with Black Healers Connect and, and, and I want to amplify the digital allyship offering, which is just so um, rich and, and, and like, so deeply comprehensive to approach marketing and digital strategy while also tying in the allyship piece. Like it's such a unique offering. So I just, you know, Lauren, do you have a specific question? Cause I'm like all over the place. I have a billion. <laughs> I, I'm kind of all over the place too, but I do want to come back to the fact, Monica, that you have an Aquarius moon, which I also have. Yeah. And Michelle Cassandra Johnson has an Aquarius moon. And I'm like, so much of what you're sharing, um, I just feel like we need people who are breaking down the structures that we've been told are the only way to do things. And that is what I'm hearing and how, even just with your yoga journal job, for example, the fact that you were like, no, you need to bring me on in a more meaningful way. Like so many of us would never, um, 
first of all, be brave enough to do that. But also that's not how we're taught to like get a job. Right. So um, I just want to really honor and underscore uh, that it's important to, I guess for anyone listening, like it's important to listen to what you need and for relationships, especially in work to be reciprocal and not just like you taking whatever you can get. And it sounds like you've really trusted yourself and grounded in your own agency to get what you need out of a situation. Um, so anyway, that that's really all I had. I don't have a specific question because I have a million questions. <laughs> well, you know, I feel like traditionally, and it's so funny because you know, the place that I co-create is called Wear Your Voice. And even at Wear Your Voice, I felt like I wasn't able to wear my voice. I felt very silenced. And historically, you know, just growing up in, in my own body um, as a woman, as a Black woman, you know, as a child of a single parent, you know, I've historically felt like my voice wasn't enough. But I had to lean into the discomfort of trying to make other people comfortable so I can embody the things that I talk about. I can't talk about uplifting black and brown folks and I'm not advocating for myself. And so that was something that I really had to know, Monica, you're not being aggressive or too angry when you advocate for yourself. You're embodying the things that you say that you care about. And so it, it, it was that component. And then also I have a very deep relationship with my ancestors and ancestors walk with me. And so even if I'm like, oh, no, 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 it's okay. Like I can, I can, I can deal with it. You know, the people, you know, emotional intelligence, some folks, we're just still learning and leaning into like how we can support each other and be stewards and, you know, really have open dialogue and communication. But my ancestors, if they're feeling like I'm getting too disrespected, they will write that email. So I just have to like let them do their thing and be like, well, if these are really my folks, they're going to listen to this with open ears and we'll see what happens. <laughs> I would love to hear, you know, as you're talking about your ancestors coming through you and, and writing the email and getting it done and saying the thing that needs to be said, I'm thinking about... Um, some stuff you shared on social media recently. And, and if you don't want to talk about this, that's fine, but I want to open it up if, for this conversation, especially as two white people who are doing social justice work and who have a podcast dedicated to social justice work. And I know you said some stuff in your stories recently that was very um, critical of white people doing social justice work. And I would love for you to speak to that. Like, and, and you know, I, I also want to say that this is something that Lauren and I are sensitive to. We are constantly having conversations about um, our lane and our place and um, the way that we might not see certain things given our privileged identities and what it means to be in accountability relationship and, and, and actual anti-racism practice with one another and with other people. And I mean, I could go on and on, obviously I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm rambling a lot when I'm prefacing this question, probably because I'm a little nervous, but I, I want to open it up for you to, to share what you want to share on that topic. Thank you. Radical vulnerability and radical honesty and also radical listening. I think I, think I need to add that to the, to the Rolodex. Um, so I'd like to start this off with a little story. <clears throat> when I was a co-creator at Wear Voice, um, I was also in collaboration, which I'm still blessed to you know, 
be in collaboration with the Justice Collective. The Justice Collective is an organization that's rooted in urban studies and, or not urban studies and planning, but rooted in urban planning. Um, but it also has like anti-racism training. It talks about equity. It does a lot of workshops to build the capacity for folks to be in community and dialogue with one another in the workplace. And so my friend and I, she introduced me to someone who, you know, he was creating his own media publication and he wanted to meet with me. And so he was telling me, he's like, one of the first things he said, he was like, to compare my publication to his, he was like, you know, where your voice is just too aggressive. It's just too angry. White cis man saying this. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, we get that all the time. And of course, yes, tone policing. Um, but he was like, but our publication, we're going to talk about the things that are, you know, we're going to celebrate the, the beautiful things, you know, and, you know, we're going to highlight the people doing the work. So that was how our relationship started was just kind of him trying to get free labor from me on how he can grow his publication. Uh, and then from there, he all of a sudden wanted to pivot and get into DNI work. And so I remember we're in this office room, it's in it's at, it's at WeWork, and we're in this office space and he says point blank, he was like, listen, Monica, I want to get in this DNI work, but I'm a cisgender white man who lives in a, a multi-million dollar house in San Francisco. Clearly, I am not the authority on this. But in order to really do this work, I need to work with a black person and not just a black person. It needs to be a black woman. So will you work with me? And I was like, hell not. Nah. Did you just say? Like, what? And so that is something that I've, I've seen and, and something that I said in my stories yesterday was don't tokenize your black friends and colleagues to earn a paycheck. I see a lot of folks, I even had to let go of a recent project because, you know, I felt like that was occurring when, you know, oh, we want it, we want to talk about social justice and activism and racism you know, but we need to well, let's scramble to find one of our black colleagues who can be on this because it makes sense for them to. And, and the way that they centered is we want to amplify her voice and uplift her message. And, you know, we want to give her a platform and we're leveraging our privilege. We're leveraging our social capital to bring her on. But my question is, did you just make a profit off of talking about anti-racism? Like, if we want to talk about reparations, if we want to have an honest conversation about reparations, reparations looks like giving 100%, not, not 75, not 90, not even 99. Why? My question is, why do white people think they should even make one dime off of talking about racism or even social justice? Because social, social justice is rooted in white supremacy. It's like the reason why we talk about social justice is because of white supremacy. And so I've just been having this internal question is if you feel like you are, uh, if you're putting yourself at, at the podium, if you're putting yourself in the lecturer or teachers, um, you know, if, if you're giving yourself that role as a facilitator to talk about these issues, I'm always curious why. Now this, and I, and I was even talking with a friend yesterday, I said, you know, some people may hear what I'm about to say is extremely problematic. And I, again, radical vulnerability and honesty, I also want to name, anytime I have conversations, please excuse me for any transgressions that I have because I'm human and I'm not perfect and I'm always leaning in. 
something we say here in Oakland, especially since Oakland is a very queer space, is you know, the, some of the most problematic people are white queer folks because they wanna play oppression Olympics. Oh, but I'm, I'm on the spectrum too. I'm, I'm also marginalized and you know, I have this and I'm like, okay, cool, yes. And so I've, I've met folks who have tried to justify their own intersections to talk about these issues, but I'm like, you'll, any, any intersection that you have, there's always going to be, be a black identified person that has it as well. And furthermore, the most disrespected person on the planet of this world is a black, queer, disabled woman. So, you know, if we're not even creating space for that, and this is something, again, I can't just point my finger at everyone else. I'm a cisgendered, able-bodied, you know, light-skinned woman. I have immense privilege, you know, so how am I even creating space for people who have less access than I do? And so that's also, you know, my invitation to white folks in particular who want to do this work is one, self-reflection. Why do I feel like I should be doing this work in the first place? Um, and two, even if I have good intentions, do you realize that every single time you get that opportunity that that's an opportunity that was taken away from a black or brown person? So just in that in itself goes against your own values of why you do this work. And so then I want to talk about, because I'm a death doula, and, you know, ancestral, you know, my ancestors run through my bones. You know, when I am in ceremony, I have a deep relationship with my grandfather. My grandfather passed away when my mom was 16. She had me at 37. And I, it has been proven time and time again, this relationship I have with my grandfather where he tells me things and I'll tell my mom and she'll say like, that really happened. She, it, mine, it's mind boggling to her. The other day I was on call with her and I was telling her, I was like, your dad's saying something about Lulu, Lula, Lulu. And I was like, who is that? And he, and my mom goes, wow, that's his mother. So, you know, so realizing one thing that white folks always ask me is like, well, you know, I, I shouldn't be, you know, prosecuted for what my ancestors did because, you know, that's not me. And I'm like, I a hundred percent agree with you. That's not you, but you also have to own that that's in your blood. If, if, if we, if I have, I ha see it as someone who does this work as a death doula, you know, we still carry the legacy of our ancestors. So if you're carrying the legacy of your ancestors who, you know, may have been problematic, may have been slave owners, you know, may have had immense privileges and benefits, why do you feel like you could even speak on these issues when you know what you hold inside of you? And if you really want to break generational curses, ask yourself instead of, should I be doing this workshop, what does reparations look like? So, and so furthermore, so someone also said is like, but when we get asked, we, we also get told on the other side of the coin is, you know, don't ask us, don't, don't ask BIPOC folks, you know, about, you know, white supremacy, go, go talk to your other white folks, go get the emotional labor for them. I say 100%, I agree. White folks can go ask other white folks, but do I think white people should still be making a profit? No. If you're doing that work and, and you really care and like your main mission and vision is to, you know, gather the folks so we can all build a more equitable future, then if you are selling tickets to educate white folks and non-black folks of color, because we know non-black folks of color can be problematic and anti-black too, 
if you are making a profit, 100% of that should be going back to black, black identified communities. You know, 100% should be going to indigenous folks, 100% should be going to POC folks. And so, you know, yes, and yes, do this work. Yes, show up. Yes, talk about it. But why are you making a profit? And so now on the profit side, though, because I do understand there's people who are doing amazing work who are white bodied and white identified. And so I think there's a difference between making social justice be the pillar and essence of your work and calling that your work, and then a difference between incorporating that and weaving social justice into your work. Everybody, the most whitest man, you know, should have social justice as a, as a pillar in their work, but it shouldn't be the whole stage. You see what I'm saying? So that is where my reflections have been. That is some deep, deep stuff. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, Lauren, do you have any questions to follow that up? I want to make sure to open the space up to you if something's coming through. Yeah, um, so where I get hung up on this constantly, because I mean, in full transparency, like I am a white person who at this point, since I would say the last six months or so, based on my time and and what I can afford to do for free versus what I can't like this now is the main source of my income is, and, and it's always in collaboration. Um, I, I started a business with my friend, Charlie, who we, we offer anti-oppression trainings and consulting and that kind of stuff. Um, so like I, I've had teachers who have reflected like someone like Michelle Cassandra Johnson, for example, and I know Tristan and I both have worked closely with her and, and I'm in her mentorship program. You know, she has said like there, there is a role for the white facilitator. And I know that, that you're not saying that there isn't a role for the white facilitator, but you're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, that a white facilitator should not make any money off of the work. Um, so yeah, that, that's where I constantly am hung up on like, there's the dance of like, what is appropriate space to take up? And, and it seems like there's a different answer about that, depending on who you ask and who your teachers are. So that's, that's not really a question. It's just a reflection that like, there are some, there are other teachers who say something different and, and that I'm, I know for myself and, and I'm assuming for other white bodied folks who make any money off of this work, that there's a constant like, tension in that. Um, so that, that's really all, all I had to share. It's not so much a question, I guess. But it is, it, I love that. Um, yeah. Because it inspired some thoughts and post reflections. Um, one, yes, this, what I'm saying, what Monica's saying, and, and no one is authority on these conversations. There's people who have more lived experiences that can offer more insight but no, this is all subjective, right? What is, there's, there's a philosopher, his name's Barclay. And one of the things he talked about, I don't know, back in the day, Galileo times, I'm not too sure, 1600, 1508, don't quote me. Um, <laughs> he said, you know, the sky is blue because we choose the sky to be blue. We collectively as a society choose it to be blue. So while this may be an objective truth, it is still rooted in this subjective idea everything inherently is subjective. Even me pinching myself and saying that hurt is subjective. You know, Virgo rising side note, apparently we like pain. So you see what I'm saying here? <laughs> so, you know, I just want to first say, 
there's no right or wrong answer. There's just different opinions and ways that we move forward. That being said, you know, I had to ask myself as a black woman, I had to literally give up because I hear when I, when I talk to white folks about this and who they're doing the work, the, the first thing that they talk about is their financial stability. And I'm like, well, first of all, if the first thing that we're talking about is our finances, then I would really question how deep are we committed to the work if we're more concerned about what's in our pockets. I, as a black woman, had to give up financial security most recently this week so I could stand in my truth and in my values. So if me as a black woman who has historically been oppressed and marginalized can do that, my question is to white folks, why can't you do that too? There's other jobs. And that's the other thing I say is like, there's so many other things that you could be doing. Why choose to do this work? Because even if you collaborate, and, and that's again, that's why I had a preference that I, a lot of white folks, when I have these conversations, they're like, oh, but I collaborate with so-and-so. I'm like, yeah, but do you not see how that is kind of tokenizing in some sense? You know, because that black person that you're collaborating with probably could even do greater work in collaboration with another black person. And so even how are we, how are we even pulling on the emotional time and labor when we do, you know, have collaborations with folks? I'm not saying that white folks can't be the facilitators. I'm just saying that if we are really talking about if, you're, if you have ever said, yes, we need reparations, if you've ever said, yes, we need to create equitable systems, then you would already know just inherently, I probably should not be making a dollar off of this. When I facilitate, all my funds should go to this. And there's so many, and when I, and it's the white folks who say this and they talk about their financial and instabilities are some of the most brilliant people. And so I'm like, I know you can work in something else. You have so many gifts to offer, so many gifts. You're so talented. Why limit yourself to think that this is the only realm that you could be in? Why limit yourself to think that, oh, my financial stability, when you know that you're a manifester, you can generate that job. You can get your folks to support you in other ways. And that's something that I had to, you know, I've been talking a lot on social media, this mantra I just adopted surrender to receive what you already have sometimes we got to let go of something to receive the things that we already have you already have community you already have knowledge you've already have deep work you've already collaborated in other ways you've already shown up for community in other ways and so you know i think that there's a way that we can or not we i think there's a way that white people specifically could continue to do this work in a way that honors their own commitments first and foremost and that also is a way that to to build their you know stability financial security without taking up unnecessary space so mm. yeah thank you for that monica um tristan did you have i see you nodding a lot that's why i'm I, I am nodding and I'm like, you know, um, I can see my brain wanting to be like, well, Monica, what do you think about this? What, Monica, what do you think about that? And this isn't like, I just want to catch myself and vocalize it because I recognize that I didn't have you on, I didn't want to have you on this podcast and have this conversation with you. So I pick your brain and, and take advantage of your emotional labor. Um, I want 
to have this conversation as a way to share your perspective and your voice, not so that you can tell me what I'm doing wrong or what I'm doing right. And, and yet there is that, that urge to be like, tell me more about what I'm doing wrong or tell me more about what I'm doing right. And so I just wanna name that because I think that that's part of what comes up for a lot of us white people in working across lines of difference and in trying to be, for lack of a better word, allies or dedicated to anti-racist practices. and. I just want to name it publicly because like we need to, right? Like we need to acknowledge the urges that we have and also talk about the ways in which they're problematic. And one of the things I love about what you're doing in this conversation and recently on Instagram, when you share like, you're problematic too. Like we all are, we're all indoctrinated with such toxic wrong frameworks and all of us have blind spots based on our lived experiences and identities. And if we don't start naming and acknowledging and exploring it with one another, while also, as I'm trying to do right now, being sensitive to who we're exploring it with and in what ways, then we're not, we're not dismantling these, these systems in ourselves or in one another. And anyway, so I, I just wanted to share all of that and also share all of that to say like, I can see this opportunity in this conversation to be like, let's keep talking about this. And I also want to ask you questions that aren't related to this particular subject. <laughs> so if you're comfortable, I'm gonna ask you a completely different question. Yeah. Okay, is there anything you wanna share in response to what I just babbled on about though? I think the work begins with deep inquiry. You know, Michelle talks about that, Hala talks about that, so many people talk about taking a journey of self-inquiry. Because we live in a society that's rooted in capitalism, it even manifests in how we show up to the work. And so in my invitation, you know, especially when we are in the wellness space, people used to tell me, like, you must do yoga asana all the time working at Yoga Journal. I'm like, none of us do yoga asana working at Yoga Journal. We're in the freaking media rooms. What are you talking about? You know, so it's really that invitation of embodying the things that we talk about and just taking a moment of self-reflection, pause, stillness, going back to the drawing board. I think that, and because I understand, especially on this call, all three of us are oppressed in some way. You know, that's definitely a given. Whether we are, you know, non-binary or trans, whether we are black, whether we're a woman, you know, there's so many different areas that we could identify collectively like, oh yeah, me too, you know what's up. And also taking a moment of just pause of how can we continue to support our, our stability and well-being because we can't pour out into the collective if we're not taking care of ourselves first. So what other gifts do I have? You know, what other ways can I be of service and also commit to doing this work in a way that makes sense for me and is in aligned with my, my values, my morals, and my mission? And again, I cannot emphasize when I made that switch in decision and just surrendered to receive what I already have, I was like, honestly, if I have to put a Venmo call out for support next month, I know community is going to have me because I'm doing the work and I am in embodying the work. The ancestors got my back, just like they got yours. So that's, that's my invitation is you already have everything you need. We gotta let go of, of, of the fear 
of if I let this go, because that's rooted in scarcity and that and capitalism thrives off of that. And so, you know, just just a moment of pause and reflection. So thank you for, for that, Tristan. Thank you, Monica. You know, you mentioned the significance of community showing up for you. And it's, I'm reflecting back on the moment. I can't remember how long ago it was now, maybe somewhere between the last three to six months where you created a piece of viral content as you, as you were quite talented in doing. And it got shared so much that somebody stole it and cropped your username out of it and then passed it off on their own page and gained who knows how many thousands of, of new followers um, in the process. And I recall that I was kind of watching you explain some of this about what was going on in your stories. It seemed like people were calling this person in and then calling this person out and this person was blocking and deleting if I remember correctly. Can you tell about what that was like for you and what you took away from it? Like, cause you seemed to then shift into talking about, you know, um, watermarking your content and like ways we can protect our content. I would love to hear a bit about what that was like for you and, and what you took away from it. Yeah, so I think one thing people say, it's just social media, you know, come on. Like we all re repurpose and reshare content. And I'm like, yes, but again, embodying the things that we talk about, historically black and brown folks have had our, our creative essence stolen from us. So I can't talk about supporting other folks and not supporting myself. So I turned that opportunity into a teachable moment for this person um, and for, to give a free resource away to folks who are also creators. And so I create a carousel post on how to protect yourself on social media and digitally through, you know, these different tools that you can do. So, you know, one thing just, you know, by law, whenever you create something, it automatically is yours. You don't need to put the whole C, you know, Monica Kadena. But even just thinking about the psycho psychologically as folks, if you see that, you're less likely to repost that image without asking for permission. So doing little things that let folks know, like, I, I'm really, this is my art and I'm sensitive of my shit, you know? And so, but also going back to this mantra is surrender to receive what you already have. That meme that went viral literally took me like two minutes to make. And so my invitation at first, I was like, ah, oh, you know, this was for my course that I was promoting. And, you know, this person got all these, like, I think they had like 50,000 new followers in a week. It was ridiculous. And I was just like, they took, you know, that could have been me. And I was just like really upset. And then I had to say, Monica, that was your creative energy just chilling on the couch for two minutes don't think that's the only thing that you'll ever create. And in fact, it wasn't even the best. Let's just keep it 100, you know? So I had to let go and just be like, you have so much more to offer and you're going to continue to keep offering so much more. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm actually really grateful for that experience because it gave me some more ideas to share when I'm talking about digital allyship and um, to be to continue to be a resource for folks who you know they don't have money for a lawyer by no means necessary like I am not a lawyer 
Um, but people who don't have more professional support, I could at least create a series of assets and do a little bit of research and dig deeper so I can provide for the greater collective. Monica, you know, in the midst of all of this, like I have, I've, you know, I've been following you and your work for maybe more than a year now, I think. And yeah, definitely more than a year. And I've watched your audience grow so significantly in the last year. Have you had to like fight the inner ego voice that like gets you hung up on the numbers and like the nervous system reaction when you get a thousand new followers in a week? Like, have you had to battle with that inwardly? Yeah, I think... I had a vanity moment with my friend Sarah yesterday where I was like looking at my posts and, you know, I'm, I'm posting things that have nothing to do with, and I talk about in my digital allyship intensive, focus on your one thing. I'm all over the place this week. Um, and I'm okay with that. And I, and there's times when I'm like, you know, okay, you got a hundred likes, who cares? At least you got that thing out of your brain. You got to see how it works. You can always archive it later. If you lose 300 folks from your community. I don't like to use the word followers. It just feels weird to me. But if you lose 300 folks from your community, every time I lose folks, I'm like, the community is getting stronger. You know, allow, create space for new things and new opportunities to come through. And then when I do get new folks in the community, um, yeah, I definitely will have that scroll culture day where I'm like, oh, this person liked it. Oh my gosh, let me take a screenshot and let me tell all my friends. Um, and there's, then I have to surrender that because I, because even, even that question of validation, I know that comes from a space of not feeling validated historically. So rather than staying on Instagram all day and seeing, okay, here's the update here. Oh, let me, oh, now this many, now this, how, what are other ways that I can validate myself with just myself? You know, am I really creating this content because I want likes, because I want followers? Like what are, what is my end goal with this? Okay, Monica, your end goal is to support the community and be the people's digital strategist. You don't need to do that online all right, let me call my brother Siswe and, you know, see how I can support him in his work and help him create viral content, you know, do the thing and then get off. Yeah. I think we oftentimes get too caught up in the vanity metrics, then the essence and actuality of why we're even doing it in the first place. So that's what I've been doing. Every, you know, I've been taking, I've also read um, Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. And coincidentally, like January 1st of 2020, and I was like, I'm going to be offline and go out in nature and travel and, you know, go hikes and spend time with my friends and hug them. <laughs> Girl, you were tripping. Um, but because I did read that book, it really shifted my perspective on, you know, social media and, you know, my relationship to digital media. Um, you know, a, a lot when we talk about it, I haven't even seen the film yet, The Social Dilemma. And everyone's like, Monica, how have you not seen that? And you're over here talking about Cal Newport, Cal Newport. Um, but, you know, they talk about in that, in, in Cal Newport's book, at, at least, I don't know if it's in The Social Dilemma, how even Facebook, you know, the, it's, it's, it's the whole gambling, it's rooted in getting people psychologically. So if I, if I know that there's these tools have been placed out here, for me to stay on it for an extreme, you know, long period of time, I know 
I'm not going to use the platform for what it wants me to do. I'm going to use the platform for what I want it to do. I want to build my community. So instead of like, and that's why I talk about, because my background, as I mentioned with Where Your Voice was creating viral content, you know, for media to get in media placement. But at the essence, we're still doing on social media. So my goal is to teach y'all, listen, instead of doing five posts that get low engagement, let's just focus on creating one post. If you can create one post that gets 45,000 shares, you're done for the week, two weeks, you know, goodbye, I'm going offline, you know, so I, I'm, I want to empower folks to use these platforms in a way that makes sense for them without having to do the most or feel like they have to like learn all of the things. Yeah, that really leads me into wanting to ask, you know, cause this is a lot of what you're teaching in, in, in the digital allyship course. Are you going to offer it again in that intensive format? Do you know what your, what your future plans are for that, that project and that learning space? You know, um, sorry, one second. I totally forgot cause I got my new cat that I had. Um, Okay, just want to make sure that they, okay. No, you totally- oh, Airplane mode, eek. Let me just make sure that they weren't trying to drop off my, my new cat stuff. <laughs> okay, phew, they haven't, okay. Um, I'm still, what I've done recently is, as I mentioned, let go of projects so I can create space to see what I want to do I definitely really, I mean, clearly I, my, my goal for the digital allyship intensive was, you know, to sell the recordings. I was literally inviting people to come to me creating the thing that I was eventually going to sell. But the last day I said to myself, one, this feels like more of a live experience and I will still sell recordings for folks who want it. Um, but also like I said, we're all problematic. There's even moments of pause and reflection of, hmm, could that could have been communicated a little bit better, Monica? Maybe we should fine tune this part. So I know I definitely want to offer it again right now. So what I'm really building, and I was just talking to someone about this, I'm obsessed with rebuilding Black Wall Street. And I'm so you know, blessed to be here um, from Oakland and my family's been here since the 1920s. So like that energy runs through my blood. I used to joke to people that Huey Newton should have been my daddy because my mom actually knew him. But it's funny how people see history. People see history now, but when you're in it, she was like, no, he was over here just walking around with guns. What are you talking about? I was not gonna hook up with him. <laughs> and now my mom, even she's becoming really radical. She's like, where was I? Why didn't, I'm like, it's okay, mom. Like, I got you. I'm doing the work for both of us now. You just go chill in your rocking chair and, you know, it's okay. You don't need to get all radical and, you know, do too much for your nervous system. I got the both of us. Um, but, you know, my goal is to, you know, when we talk about this work, you know, and yes, embodying it, but also how are we creating opportunities and economic access for folks? That's my huge thing, the economic access, you know, huge, huge, huge. Um, and so what I'm doing, I created a monthly membership program. It's communal consultations. And so one thing I thought of is, you know, people can't, uh, many people, myself included, we can't afford to pay our consultations, you know, one-on-ones. 
And you know, all of this energy I'm, I am getting from like, I'm paying these, billing these clients, these, you know, large fees, like, yeah, that's cool and all, but the amount of time and energy I'm doing for one organization or company, I could be doing that for my folks. So I have communal consultations. No one, absolutely no one is turned away for lack of funds. No one needs to send me a whole, you know, book long reason why if you can't pay or unwilling to pay or whatever, just let me know and you're in, just come on. I just want to help my folks thrive and shine. Um, and the goal with that is one, of course, to support the sustainability that what we're doing at Black Healers Connect, um, of course, to support my own stability, um, but also I'm into the idea of rotating the dollar. And so, you know, as much money as I make, I want to pour those funds into the community so we can create our own systems of healing and resilience. So right now I'm also really blessed to be working with an organization called Spirit Works. They're based out of Oakland and they are doing such amazing work in Oakland and beyond. Um, but one of their goals too is not just to rebuild Black Wall Street, but to build a whole healing community outside of Shasta. Um, which the one of the co-creators, that's where she's from, her family's from Shasta. Um, so, you know, she talks about, you know, not just honoring the indigenous land, but also creating space for black and brown folks. Because oftentimes when we think about these different destination spots to go to, we're not seeing the people who are even from there in the first place. So my goal is to, yes, continue with digital allyship intensive, um, but my main goal is to support my collective community of how we all can, you know, build out our programs and our offerings and our workshops. So. Thank you. I want to be sensitive to your time. I also want to ask if Lauren has any final questions to bring in before we wrap up. I don't, I was also wondering about the digital allyship stuff and I bought it. I haven't dug into it yet. So I'm very excited after this conversation just to spend some time with it. I literally binged it all day Sunday into Monday. It was like better than television, but I'm also like, this is my work. I'm, I nerd out on this stuff. Like I love this stuff. So yeah. Thank you. Thank you both. I, I truly appreciate it, honestly. And you know, that was one of the reflections I had. You, you'd never know why you do the things when you do it. Spirit called me. So what happened is I with digital allyship and my first digital allyship workshop. And then I did, I did another one after that with conscious city guide. And then I was like, okay, now I'm going to talk, now I'm going to do a digital marketing workshop. Now I'm going to do this workshop. And none of them um, had the same type of traction of the first one. And so it wasn't until December when I just was like, had an aha moment was like, that's not just a workshop. That's your thing. That's your baby. That's your organism. That's whatever you're creating. That's, that is the, that's you. And so from there, it was one night where I just laid and I was like, listen, this landing page, if I don't do this tonight, it's not, it may not happen. And that just came from me in a meditation. I was like, boop, this is your thing, girl, like continue with it. And so that remember surrender to receive what you already have. I have been trying to chase the bag, trying to get this client, that client. Oh, let me work with this person. Oh, they'll help me elevate. I'm not good enough on my own. Oh, let me still work with this organization a little bit longer because I don't have enough money. Meanwhile, digital allyship is sitting right there. 
and from my workshop. I'm so blessed, like literally makes me emotional. Over 300 people signed up. That was to over $20,000. That's money that I could, that I was able to pay the folks who helped me put it on to, to pay myself. That's money for funding for Black Healers Connect for at least two months, you know? And I was holding on to another job when I just needed to surrender to receive what I already had. And, you know, the way that the universe works, I didn't even know that I was going to quit my last, you know, official gig. But if, if I've learned anything, and that was my huge thing with digital allyship is so people had told me originally, they were like, you need to sell this for $750. This is a $1,250 workshop. And I had entertained it for like, yeah, if I sell it for this much, I can make this much money. And like, I had gone into that, like, you know, mindset of, you know, capitalism and wanting and gluttony when I had to sit with myself one day and I was like, but why, what is your main thing, Monica? Your main thing is to empower folks, to empower your community. So I completely like two nights before changed the complete structure of digital allyship to have it be, you know, no, absolutely no one turned away for lack of funds. You don't need to tell me why to different prices prices is that too loud no, you're fine <laughs> freaking east oakland we turn up way too much out here um but i had you know from letting go of capitalism and not having that be like the essence of what i was trying to do but like cool if i if i make some money fine whatever i don't care i just really want to get this thing out and do it community showed up you know, and so that showed me that I that I had like already have support of the community and I'd, I'd much rather be in service to my folks than be of service to one person. So thank you for asking me that you too about digital allyship because, you know, I'm, I'm really glad um, and blessed, you know, for the work and support of the community because I, I can't do this work. I can't be of service to my folks. I can't continue to, you know, create amazing programming for Black Healers Connect if it isn't for community support. So community means everything to me, Gemini. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for doing what you are for listening to your spirit and your gifts and your inspiration and what comes through when you're, when you get out of your own way, as we all are in the trying to, we need to be in the practice of doing. And it's, it's so clear that you are, and we are, I feel, I will speak from I, feel very lucky to be able to receive the gifts that you share with us because it's rich, deep stuff. It's not just like, this is how you get more followers, as you're saying, this is how you get more money. This is how you grow your work. This is how you create this manipulative marketing tactic. You know, you're talking about it in the exact same way that I try to work with my clients. Like, this is about your heart. As you say, it's about your essence. It's about your why. 
And it's just, it's so meaningful to see other people doing that. And especially with the audience that you have to be reaching people and alleviating their anxiety in marketing. Like I could say, I wasn't on the live calls, but I knew it was happening. I knew people were exhaling like, okay, great. I can make this manageable for myself. Like Monica is giving me systems and tools and tips. And all I need to do is tap into what I can offer and what isn't going to burden me or burn me out at the same time. And it's just such an important conversation that is not had in quote marketing spaces, right? So thank you. And thank you too, for just taking the time to be with us and share all that you have today. It's, it's, thank you. Thank you yeah. both. This is really therapeutic and exactly what I needed. Yeah. Like you said, the timing was kind of perfect and none of us would have known <laughs> that when we scheduled it. So really, really grateful to you for being here. Thank you so much. All the Fuck In is independently produced by your hosts, Tristan Katz and Lauren Roberts. To help us keep bringing you new episodes on all things social justice and entrepreneurship, you can donate over on our website at alltfnpodcast.com. That's A-L-L-T-F-I-N-podcast.com. Your donation supports original content that promotes social justice and individual and collective change. A portion of our proceeds benefits a radical organization of our choosing each month. Any amount is helpful and greatly appreciated. Death, 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 death is a penalty. Penalty. Penalty.